0: text is the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, beginning of verse 17. In Haney's book, Renew My Church, he says there can be no renewal apart from a knowledge of the Spirit-filled life. And assuming that statement is true, as we approach the time where we give emphasis in the church to renewal, I want to preach this morning on the Spirit-filled life. Familiar text. I think that if a person is going to preach on the Spirit-filled life, he might use other texts, but this is the best one to use. So So then do not be foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, For that is dissipation, destructive, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, circle with your heart, to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In McNeil's book entitled The Spirit-Filled Life, he makes this statement, and I quote, On every hand, a lack of something is being felt among the, the, the people of God. Instead of continuous victory, there is reoccurring defeat. Instead of soul satisfaction, there is soul hunger. Instead of abiding heart rest, there is disquiet and discontent. Instead of advancing, many are losing ground. Is this all that God meant when He said, come unto me? Is the life of continual defeat and disappointment the normal life of the the Christian To these sad questionings, the Bible answers with an emphatic no. For there is a life of victory and joy, a life of peace and plenty and power that is to be the norm of the Christian life. It is called the Spirit-filled life. Now the Bible recognizes the Spirit-filled life and acknowledges a disparity and a difference in the daily lives of Christians. Paul puts it like this. He said, there are some of you that walk after the manner of men, and there are some of you that walk worthily of the Lord. What he's saying is this. There are some of you who have, as the quality of your life, a manness quality. He calls them carnal. And there are those of you who have a godness quality quality about your life, those he calls spiritual, so that in the church there are those that have a quality of life about them that is hard to t- so that it is hard to distinguish between their life and an unbeliever's life. And then there are those, he said, within the church who are spiritual, who have a godness about them. Not everybody is living the Spirit-filled life, but everybody is commanded to live the Spirit-filled life who is a believer. As a matter of fact, the verse that commands negatively that we're not to be drunk with wine commands positively that we are to be filled with the Spirit so that it is just as much a sin not to be filled with the Spirit as it is to be drunk with wine. Now let me say this, and I don't want to be misunderstood, but it's absolutely true that a Christian who is not living the Spirit-filled life is living in sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches that the greater sin is the sin of omission rather than commission. Therefore, to sin the sin of omission, that is, it is a greater sin not to do what I ought to do than it is to do what I ought not to do. And I'm convinced that the greatest hindrance or hurt to the cause of Christ is not caused by people who get drunk, but by Christians who are not living the Spirit-filled life. I haven't checked with the devil on this lately, but I have a suspicion that he'd rather have one church on Main filled with Christians who are not living the Spirit-filled life than to have ten liquor stores on Main filled with whiskey. And I think we need to understand right up front that to be filled with the Holy Spirit is not an option. It is not a blessing to enjoy. It is a command to obey. And a person who is not living the Spirit-filled life is committing the greater sin. Now I want to come at this misunderstood, most misunderstood aspect of the Christian life, of any, I suppose, that's being preached, the Spirit-filled life. I want to come at that from three angles. First of all, the recognition of the Spirit-filled life. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I need to tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean the Spirit-filled Christian is not some super addition of a Christian. It's not that he's going to get his, like a hero, you know, an athlete who gets his picture on the Sports Illustrated. It's not some super saint. The Spirit-filled Christian is not a Christian raised to the highest power. He's a normal Christian obedient to God. It does not mean that you're going to become fanatical, whatever that is. I, I believe that our problem is not, uh, you know, fanaticism. I agree with Travis Wigginton when he said it's sure a lot easier to cool down a fanatic than it is to warm up a corpse. I'd a whole lot rather be a fanatic. That's it's, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be somebody weird. To be filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean that you're going to speak in tongues or perform stuff that's you know strange or do strange and mysterious things doesn't mean that to be filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean that you're going to get more of the Holy Spirit for when the Lord Jesus came into your life at the point of your conversion he came in in fullness you got all of him that you'll ever get if I were to ask you this morning to come up on this into this pulpit, you wouldn't send your arm up there or your, or your leg. You would come into this pul- When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, who is the other Jesus? Jesus comes into your life in fullness. You will not get more of Him. Sometimes the infilling of the Holy Spirit is simultaneous with conversion, but oftentimes It it is an experience that happens after conversion. Now watch this. I didn't even know what the Spirit-filled life was. I never heard of it until I was in my second year of seminary, believe it or not. And I cut my teeth on a Baptist pew. I went to a Baptist university. The second year I was in the seminary, I was confronted with the doctrine of the Spirit-filled life. So I didn't even know what it was about until... In the seminary, I heard about it. It might be an experience that happens after conversion. You've heard Herring's illustration from his book, God Being My Helper, one of the best books on the Holy Spirit you can get. He tells about this preacher who was getting ready to perform a wedding, and he always gave the honorarium that the folks that, you know, have where you performed a wedding would give to the preacher sometimes a little hint. And so he'd always give that honorarium to, to to his wife. And he was getting ready to do this wedding and he thought probably gonna be a large honorarium because it's wealthy parents, you know, both parents were wealthy. And he said, when when they paid him, gave him the honorarium, not paid him, when they gave him the honorarium, it was a pair of leather gloves. He didn't wear gloves normally, so he just came in and he just kind of threw his gloves, the gloves at his wife, and he said, There's your honorarium. They had a little laugh about it. They put them in the dresser drawer, forgot about them. A few months later, he was getting ready to go to another city to preach at a conference, and it was dead winter time and cold. And she said, "Why don't you take those gloves along? They might come in handy." So he did. First time he ever put his hands in them. When he put his fingers in those gloves, he felt something in the end of the finger, and he pulled out of each finger ten fingers of those gloves a ten-dollar bill. Now he got that gift when he performed that wedding but he didn't possess his possession until later when driven by a necessity, he appropriated what he already had. When you become a Christian, God comes into your life in fullness. The Holy Spirit, all you'll ever get of Him, comes to live in your life. It just might be that later on, when driven by a necessity, you begin to possess what you already possess. I've seen Christians by the hundreds who have lived their life out serving the Lord in a church who have never experienced the Spirit-filled life. Now, what is? Never possess their possession. What is the Spirit-filled life? Well, the word fill there is, a, is an interesting word, and there's several of them in the New Testament. Several Greek words for fill. There is the word kartazo, and it's always associated with hunger. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. For they shall be filled. There is the New Testament word fulfilled. that's the word Greek word playho. It means to be filled with something outside. And so the city of Nazareth was filled with anger, and they lifted up to Jesus on the cross a sponge filled with vinegar. It's a different word from the word here. The word here is the word "playrou." And when it's used in relationship to prophecy, it means to bring it to pass. When it's used in relationship to ministry, it means to complete it. But when it's used in chapter 3 of Ephesians and chapter 5 of Ephesians, it means to control, to control. So the Spirit-filled life is a Spirit-controlled life. And he gives an illustration of a drunk guy. Because a man who is drunk is under the control, under the power of something outside of himself that changes him. Have you ever wondered why Paul didn't say, don't commit adultery, but be filled with the Spirit? Or don't kill, don't murder, but be filled with the Spirit? Don't steal, but be filled with the Spirit? Why didn't he use some other sin in contrast to being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer to that is easy. Listen to me. For the Apostle Paul was not speaking. He was not... Just speaking by way of contrast, he was speaking by way of comparison. And there is a sense in which the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit can be compared to being intoxicated. It happened at Pentecost. You remember when those Christians poured out of that upper room out into the streets? And they began to sing and dance with joy. They was, it was party time in old Jerusalem. And they began to speak with boldness, these cowards. And they spoke in language that other nations could understand. And the bystander said, those guys are drunk. Do you remember what Peter's response was? His response was this. He said, we are not drunk as you suppose, now he didn't deny that they were drunk. He didn't say we're not drunk. He filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody said that, that alcohol, that liquor is the devil in liquid form, so that Satan takes control of the thought and the walk and the talk and the courage and the morals take a nosedive for the worse. But when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit takes control of the thought and the talk and the walk and the courage and the morals take a turn for the better. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be controlled by the precious Holy Spirit of God. That's the recognition of the Spirit filled life. Now, what are the requirements? Requirements are necessary to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody asked me one time said, Is there a formula? Well, I don't like formulas. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, there is almost a formula. Now, now don't say I got a formula for the spirit-filled life, but I got the requirements right here. Now, once you listen to these. Now, on the last day, John 7:37, on the last of the great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried out saying, he lifted up his voice and said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, but thus spoke he of the Holy Spirit. I believe that if there is a formula, it has four factors first of all are you interested in living a spirit-filled life you ought to be it's the direct command of God if you are you need to get these there must first of all be a consuming thirst for God if any man's thirst implied for me if any man thirst for me the first step is the acknowledgement that your life is a desert, that you're dry. And to have this consuming thirst like the psalmist, he said, I stretched out my hands to thee, for my flesh longs for thee as in a dry land. My soul thirsts for thee, he said, as in a land with no water. I long for the Spirit filled. I long to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. I thirst for that. I'll tell you this story again Stephen Alford perhaps the greatest expositor that's alive today was raised by parents who were missionaries in Angola And he said one day he and his family were tracking across the desert and they got lost and they wandered around in the desert for days and they lost they, they were out of provisions they had no water they were starving he said, that Our servants, the men, our guides, panicked and fled and left us alone in the middle of the night. They left left us alone in the desert without a drop of water, and we were starving. He said, It was me and my mother and father, my little brother. He said, My little brother was so, had, had, had already become comatose. His mouth was swelled, his tongue swelled, so he couldn't even open his mouth, gasping for breath. He said, Out in the middle of that desert, he said, Now, I'm about to tell you something you won't believe. I heard him preach this in a pulpit. He said, but God being my witness, he said, my father who is in heaven today looking down from the battlements of heaven is my witness. This actually happened. He said, out in the middle of the desert, starving to death, dying for a drink, he said, my father fell on his face and began to cry, oh, God, give us water. We're your servants. We're your children, and we're starving. We're perishing Give us water. He said he cried and he screamed and he moaned and called to God for water. He said there wasn't a cloud in the sky. We said after he prayed and agonized, he said all of a sudden, God being my witness, he said all of a sudden a cloud came. And out of that cloud, he said, was a clap of thunder. And across the sky was a flash of light, a lightning. And he said it began to rain. He said, we grabbed our utensils and we caught all the water we could and we drank and we drank. He said, after we had had drunk all that we could drink and caught all the water we could contain, the cloud went away. If any man first, is there anybody here this morning whose life is more like a desert than a garden? You're empty and powerless and, and joyless and fruitless. And there is this consuming passion for God. That's the first step. If you've ever been thirsty, so that you were starving, you thought, you try to think of anything else but that, and your mind zeroes in on that like an obsession. I've got to have water. I've got to have Him. I've got to have Him. I've got to have Him. begins with a consuming passion, consuming thirst. Secondly, there must be a complete commitment to Him. He said, let Him come to me. Come. Now, there's some implications in that. If I come to where you are, there's a place I have to leave. It involves repentance. It involves leaving behind. Well, you see, the Holy Spirit's not going to control a life where, there is, where you harbor sin. He's not going to control a life that's not totally yielded to Him. You have to leave some things behind. There may some, be some attitudes you'll have to leave behind to come to Him. There might be some actions you'll have to leave behind to come to Him. Some hours and things you're doing that you'll have to leave behind to come to Him. A complete commitment to Him. There is no spirit filled walk apart from absolute yieldedness to God, so that He wants every key that you hold. The key to every room and every door and every closet and every desk. And he wants access to every corner of this temple he bought with his blood. Complete commitment. Third, there must be a continual surrender to him. The Spirit-filled life is not a once and for all thing. You don't just say, Lord, I need to live. I want to live the Spirit-filled life. I trust you for the Spirit-filled life and that's it. It's not a a once and for all thing as a matter of fact the literal translation from the Greek text be filled with the Spirit is this be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit and it is a continuous thing how does one get drunk? he gets drunk by drinking how does he stay drunk? by continuing to drink I've known some guys that go off on two or three week binges you know never done this myself but Can't speak from experience, but I've known some guys that have gone off on a binge and just drank and stayed drunk for two or three weeks. How'd they do that? Well, they just kept on drinking. I've known some Christians who've lived a spirit-filled life for a couple of weeks, a few. How'd they sober up? They quit drinking. For the spirit-filled life is not something that happens in a revival meeting and that's the end of it. It is a continual drinking from the from the well, from the spring that never runs dry. Continual thing. Fourth, if there is a factor, there must be a conscious claiming of the spirit-filled life. Conscious claiming. Now it's so easy to, to, to misunderstand what Paul is saying here. Now notice what he's saying. He does not say, be filled by the Spirit. What does he say? He says, be filled with the Spirit. And there's a big difference. If I am filled by the Spirit, it means that the Holy Spirit fills me with something outside of Himself and outside of myself. That's not the way it works. I am filled with the Spirit, so I just appropriate Him. It's not, Lord, give me more patience or give me more love, or give me more compassion. It's not that. It's, Lord, let me appropriate your patience and your love and your compassion. I heard about a preacher's wife who, who was just praying, Lord, give me more patience. And She'd pray, Lord, give me more love for the people. Give me more compassion for the lost all that. One day it just dawned on her like a light came on. She had all the patience she'd ever get. She had all the love she could ever have. She had all the compassion she could ever possess in the person of the Holy Spirit who indwelled her. And she began to pray, not give me more patience, but thy patience, Lord, thy love, Lord, thy compassion, Lord. Appropriating Him, appropriating Him. You see. One last thought, please. What are the results of the Spirit filled life? Now, the Apostle Paul was giving us some specific results that occur when one experiences or lives a spirit-filled life. There are three results. Watch this. With regard to our relationship to God, there will be a spirit of adoration. A spirit of adoration. He says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Always. Always. There will be this spirit of adoration. Spirit-filled people are people who go around with this attitude of praise all the time. Weird looking, aren't they? You know. They have this glow about them. There's this adoration. Now watch this. The result of a spirit-filled life is that a person will bear witness of God and to God. First of all, he will bear witness of God. Not one time will you ever find in the New Testament where Christians began to live the Spirit filled life that it did not impel them into the world to witness. They didn't turn in on themselves, that's neo Pentecostalism. They didn't turn in on themselves and just talk about the Deep Alive movement and look what we've got kind of thing. It just thrust them out into the streets. And they begin to bear witness of God to everywhere, everywhere they went. Now listen to me. When this church is filled with people living the Spirit-filled life, you won't have to have a Monday night visitation emphasis. Everyone who is living the Spirit-filled life will be bearing witness of God everywhere he goes. And you'll be bearing witness to God. That's praise. He said singing and making melody to the Lord. Now watch this. The worst thing that can be said about church music, any church's music, is not that it's off-key or poor. The worst thing that can be said about our music is that it's sung to the wrong audience. When we sing to one another, that's performance. When we sing to the Lord, that's praise. Don't you love to come into church where people filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe you... you Maybe you've gone to a church, you've come to church and there's this spirit-filled atmosphere and people are singing to the Lord and there's this praise that goes up to Him. It's a result of the spirit-filled life. With regard to our relationship to circumstances, there will be a spirit of appreciation. And this is what Paul says. He says, always giving thanks for all things. Most of us are ingrates, and we take things for granted more than we take things with gratitude. It wouldn't be so hard to be grateful if the Lord didn't say, in everything for all things, give thanks. That's the hard part. It seems so unnatural, you see, when hurtful things come, and cancer, and financial problems, and Decimating disappointments come. Seems so unnatural to give thanks in that. But you see, when you're giving thanks in distressing circumstances, you're not not saying that you approve those things. You're acknowledging that God is greater than those things. And you're saying, I believe that God is sovereign. And He's greater than these circumstances. And because He is sovereign and because He is love, nothing ever happens to us that He does not permit. No blade of, no blade of grass moves without His permission. Romans eight thirty-eight work, 8.28 works. For all things work together for good. Give thanks and all. A spirit-filled man has a spirit of appreciation. Third, with regard to one another, there will be a spirit of accommodation. And so he says, submitting yourselves to one another. You know what submission means? I've heard so many goofy things about submission. Let me tell you what submission means. Submission is one equal lovingly and willingly placing himself under another equal for Jesus' sake. We don't submit to one another for one another's sake as such. We submit to one another for Jesus' sake. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not you know, it's no problem for a husband to submit to his wife, and his wife submit to her, hus- to her husband. We we do that for Jesus' sake, for the glory of the Lord. There will be a spirit of accommodation. And there are no churches that have any church splits where their people are living a spirit-filled life. If you've got a problem with your brother, friend, you're not living a spirit-filled life. Now what is the bottom line to all of this? The bottom line is that God wants you, the Holy Spirit wants you and me to live under His control. And that's the command of everybody who is a believer. It's not an option. And here's the beauty of it. It's not ours to persuade Him (coughs) to control our life. It is ours to permit Him to control our life by giving Him the keys to every room. And that's the very best that God has for you. Why would you settle for anything less than the best? The very best that God has for every Christian in this room, the very best that God has for this church is for everybody who calls Jesus Lord to let him be Lord, and everybody who calls himself a Christian will live under the control of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we know that the Apostle Paul is not the exception of a Christian, but the example of one. And we know that what he said is not an exceptional experience, but the example of a normal experience. And I pray this morning that, that those of us who are carnal and, and cold and fruitless, without victory and without power and without peace, without fullness, would desire, would be consumed with a desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit, consumed with a desire for God. And I pray that for, for that person and for this church in the name of Jesus, for His sake. Well, look here just a minute. There are three invitations this morning. It's a sermon directed primarily to Christians, so I want to give you an invitation to be saved if you're lost. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. You come confessing your faith in Jesus Christ, and He'll come in to live in your life. An invitation this morning for you to join the church because you feel God wants you to be here and serve with this, this family. But primarily I speak now to those of us who are living as Christians by name. But the model and the mark and the benchmark of the Christian is the spirit-controlled life. And maybe you want to come this morning to say, I don't know what it's all about, but I want that kind of thing for myself. I want to live under the control of of the Holy Spirit of God. And there are things in my life and I'm leaving behind to do that. And you visit with our, our pastors as they stand here and we'll help you. We'll pray with you. We'll get you directed to some kind of material that will help you as you read about it. While we're, while we're in the presence of God, we need to do what He wants us to do. And so you stand and you come if God leads you while we sing.